Two years ago, Energy and Resources Minister Megan Woods, in the lead-up to the election, made a pledge. Today we are, are announcing that Labour will bring forward the 100% renewable electricity target from 2035 to 2030. And earlier this month, renewable energy was, again, a big focus of the government's first emissions reduction plan, with strong emphasis on shifting away from fossil fuels, including a proposed ban on any electricity companies investing in new generation from fossil fuels. We're certainly talking the talk, but putting it into practice is a bit more difficult. Despite declaring a climate emergency last year, New Zealand imported more than one million tonnes of low-grade coal from Indonesia. Imports of the fossil fuel in 2020 were six times larger than in 2016. Now, the fuel was burnt at Huntley, filling the gap left behind by renewables. So this is during the calm, dry weather. I'm Emile Bonovan, and today on The Detail, the machinations of getting to 100% renewable electricity. How much do we produce now, and what will it take us to get to that ambitious goal? In order to meet growing demand, Transpower says New Zealand will need to build more generation capacity by 2035 than we have in the last four decades. What are the advantages and the disadvantages of wind and solar power when compared to oil and gas? How do we prevent situations like this cropping up? Thousands of people in the lower and central North Island were left without electricity on one of the coldest nights of the year. When demand hit a record peak, the industry couldn't supply enough to keep the lights on. And is it simply a fact of life that, for the midterm at least, oil and gas-generated electricity is just going to be a necessary evil? Greg Sice is an energy analyst and managing director of the consultancy EnergyLink. I asked him first of all to explain how the electricity supply chain works in New Zealand, how the wind blustering through the Ruahine ranges to turn the turbines ends up switching on your bedside lamp. I mean, electricity is, is unique in a lot of ways, so it's, it's kind of hard to get a really good metaphor for it, to be honest. We do refer to the electricity market as a pooling arrangement, which you know could suggest that it's like a, a big swimming pool full of water. Unfortunately, that's not a very good analogy because the pool, if you like, which sort of sits on the transmission grid, which Transpower owns and operates, is very, very shallow. There's no storage in it at all. We've got generators that are producing electricity and they're connected to the grid and their power output goes onto the grid and the energy from that moves at a significant fraction of the speed of light to the points on the grid where it goes off to consumers. It's not as if electricity stops along the way and hangs around or waits until a a non-windy or a a very dry day. It, It moves across the extremely high speed. So we can't really store electricity, is that it? We produce it, and then as we produce it, it gets sucked up. Yeah, so, I mean, we're all familiar with batteries, and we have them in our cell phones and we charge them up. So you can store electricity in various forms. There are even ways of storing electricity as electric charge, say, in things called capacitors. But when we're talking about the electricity market, it's only very recently that we've really started to talk about storage in the form of batteries. Various people are looking at um, installing those now. Now we're seeing flow batteries, which are liquid batteries, and we're seeing 
other forms of storage that are not chemical or battery-based storage. Thermal energy storage has a pretty unique opportunity to be extremely low cost. Our solution will last 30 plus years without any degradation in that performance. So for the most part, electricity is stored in, say, hydro lakes. While you are watching this brief video, the Benmore Hydro Power Station will have produced enough electricity to run this light bulb for around 2 million hours. It's stored in fossil fuels, sitting in gas fields, for example, onshore and offshore Taranaki. The first bit is lowered into the hole through the discoverer. It will emerge from the bottom of the ship plunge down through the water to the seabed and there take its first bite into the ocean floor. Frogmen and television cameras help get the new well, which they've named Maui One, underway. And it's also stored in coal. So Genesis Energy, which owns the Huntley Power Station, has a big coal stockpile uh, adjacent to the Huntley Power Station and, and that stores um, a very large amount of energy in it. There's lots of wonkish terminology when you're talking about the electricity industry in New Zealand. Generators and transmitters and distributors and retailers and, oh God, it's all a bit much. So here's a quick-ish explanation for how everything works. At the bottom of the pyramid, we've got generators. These are companies like Genesis Energy or Meridian Energy. They own assets like power dams or wind farms, which they use to generate electricity, hence generators. They feed electricity into the grid, which is owned and managed by the state-owned company TransPower. That's the transmitter. TransPower then feeds electricity to local lines companies, the distributors. These are companies like Vector and Wellington Electricity and West Power and PowerCo and so on. And they sell the electricity off the grid to retailers, the companies you've signed contracts with, Electric Kiwi, Flick Electric, PowerShop, and so on. And then at the very end of your distribution networks, you've got consumers. So lots and lots of residential consumers, uh, almost 2 million, and then sort of hundreds of thousands of commercial consumers who tend to be bigger and industrial consumers who tend to be bigger again. And of course, our, our biggest industrial consumer by a country mile is the TY Point Aluminium smelter down at Bluff. So that, that, those are the sort of the layers that go into the electricity um, system. And then over that, we have a system of rules by which the electricity market functions. If you're a large generator, for example, let, let's just suppose that you're um, Meridian Energy and you've got some hydro dams and some wind farms. If you want to generate anything into the market at any particular point in time, you have to make offers for your generation. And those offers consist of quantities of electricity. And along with each of those offers goes a price. And this actually happens for every half hour of, of the day, every day of the year. And these offers are sorted from the cheapest to the most expensive. The process is actually a little bit more complicated than that, but this is the best way to think about it. Sure. And the cheapest offers are, we say, dispatched. So in other words, the cheapest offers from generators are told, yep, you've been accepted. You can uh, generate for, for the next half hour. This process continues until there's enough generation being dispatched to meet the demand from the consumers. All of these market rules sit on top of the, the physical hardware, if you like, and uh, determine which generators get to run in any particular half hour how much they're going to run, and also the prices 
they're paid. Is the reason for for everything being so granular here the fact that there isn't really a big storage kind of thing? Like you, you, you do have to use electricity as you produce it, so you have to be very precise and detailed about it because you can't really afford to waste anything. That's absolutely correct. Even if you go to uh, a related energy uh, industry like the gas industry, you know, gas gets carried in pipelines. Those pipelines can store a surprising amount of energy. The lines making up the electricity transmission grid and all those distribution networks can basically store nothing. So this is all happening in real time. And what's more than that, if it gets out of balance, so for example, if there's not enough generation dispatched for some reason to meet the demand, then uh, things go pear-shaped very quickly, and we're talking milliseconds. Well, let's talk a bit about the generating side of things here, because I guess the, you know, the subtext of why we're talking today is this commitment. I mean, it's been around for a couple of years now that New Zealand's going to be at 100% renewable energy by 2030, and the gradual phasing out of generating electricity through the use of fossil fuels. In terms of renewable electricity in New Zealand... How do we produce renewable electricity here and how much do we produce? So just in terms of that, the second part of the question, the data tells us that in 2021, 82% of all generation was renewable. That doesn't mean to say that it's all zero emissions. And Mm. that's because geothermal generation, which makes up last year, it made up 18% of the total generation, that actually has emissions associated with it. But nevertheless, it is classed as renewables. 56% of generation was hydro, as I've mentioned, 18% geothermal. Uh, Wind was the next biggest one at 6%. And then most of the rest was either gas or coal-fired fossil fuel. Perhaps I can just add here that we have some big new uh, power stations coming online in the next few years. So a couple of big wind farms. Hi, for our business news with Charles Beckford. And Meridian Energy has a new wind farm in its sights. Kira Tumani, yes. Uh, the company's posted a lower underlying half-year profit on the back of uh, lower sales and electricity generation. But, as you say, it has a new major wind farm in the offing. And another geothermal station. And they will take us from around the sort of the 82% renewable mark up to... 87, 88%, we're definitely going to be growing that renewable percentage into the future. So 82% rising to 87, 88%. On a global scale, is that a lot? Yes. Now, look, it does depend a little bit on the source of data that you look at, but New Zealand's in the top you know, three or four uh, on, on a worldwide basis. There's only a, a handful of countries that have higher renewables. So Iceland will be one because they have a large amount of geothermal and and hydro, I think. Another one is Norway. So they've always been uh, almost 100% um, hydro. But New Zealand is definitely right up there. I I wonder whether you could go through the different types of electricity generation that we categorise as renewable and just talk me through the advantages and also the disadvantages of of those, you know, wind energy, solar energy, geothermal energy. Talk me through what the good parts and also the less convenient parts to those are, if you would. Okay, so let's start with with geothermal. So uh, the disadvantage of geothermal is, as I mentioned, it does have emissions associated with it. There are, however 
international efforts ongoing to try and re-inject the carbon dioxide back down into the geothermal fields, which are you know, kilometres below the surface. So one day that may not be a disadvantage. But the really good thing about geothermal is that it's a very consistent resource. So geothermal power stations tend to operate at a consistent output in terms of the energy output uh, across the day, across the week, the month, and the year. Although they do have to be taken um, out of service for maintenance at times. Think of uh, geothermal as a base, a base renewable power source going ahead uh, as we move closer and closer to 100% renewables. Uh, it's, it's pretty much ideal. Unfortunately, it's not particularly flexible. It's not the sort of thing that you can just drop to say half output for some reason and then bring it back up. That tends to um, be very hard on the on the wells that um, bring the steam up from underground. Mm. But then uh, if we look at wind, the major downside of a, a wind farm is that the wind might suddenly stop or it just might not blow some days. And when you when you look at the uh, aggregate output of wind farms across New Zealand on a daily basis, you will often see days when there's very little wind generation. We'll see other days when there's a lot of wind generation right across the day. So, you know, it does, it does come and go. Solar is, is not big in New Zealand yet, but there are a lot of people out there who would like to build. Solar's pretty consistent. Yes, cloudy days, you don't get as much, and, you know, if it's raining and really, really dull, the, the output is down, but it's pretty consistent on a daily basis and certainly on a, on a weekly, uh, monthly, seasonal and annual basis. It, it's a lot more consistent than some of the other renewable types of generation. But the downside is that you don't get much output uh, at night. In fact, you don't get any. And the other thing about New Zealand is that we have uh, our highest electricity demand consumption in the winter, mm-hmm. but that's when solar output is at its lowest, mm-hmm. which probably explains why we don't as yet have uh, nearly as much solar as, um, say, Australia, where their peak demand in a lot of places is uh, in the summer. With hydro, we do have a reasonable amount of storage. Uh, I think it's about 4,500 gigawatt hours, which is just over 10% of the country's demand uh, at the moment, to- total demand for electricity. Unfortunately, with hydro, the inflows, the water flowing into the hydro lakes does vary considerably from year to year, and it does tend to drop on average by a large amount over winter. So this is why we're very subject to you know, dry years and wet years um, in New Zealand, and uh, this is where currently the fossil fuel generation comes in, uh, so it will fill in the gaps during during the dry periods. We always need to have a national insurance policy of a whole lot of reserves sitting there in case it's a dry year. Well, let's talk fossil fuels then. We've, we've gone through the, the various advantages and disadvantages of the different types of, of renewable energy. So what are the advantages and the disadvantages of fossil fuels? Well, just ignoring the fact that uh, they do produce a lot of emissions, you know, fossil fuels are, are marvellous from the point of view of their energy content. So there's a lot of energy stored in fossil fuels, and that means you can store a lot of energy um, in a relatively small space. They're also relatively easy to transport or transmit. So, for example, gas in New Zealand gets carried over um, high-pressure pipelines from the gas fields to the generators. 
and they're very flexible as well. So a gas fired generator can be started up depending on the type of generator in as little as uh, 10 minutes and fired up and, and peak output in a, another 10 minutes under ideal conditions. And if you've got a lot of gas in your gas fields, you've got an energy source and generating equipment which can run for long periods if you have a dry year. And it's also able to respond very quickly if, for example, it's a winter evening, uh, the sun's gone down, so there's no solar, it's very calm and frosty, so there's no wind, uh, and the demand is peaking. So fossil fuels generation is just par excellence, if you like, filling, filling that, that role along with the dry year role. How interesting. So, so fossil fuels are actually kind of wonderful, but, well, I mean, you said at the beginning, um, you know, ignoring the emissions. I guess we, we can't really ignore yeah. the emissions, can we? Like the emissions are the, 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 the big smelly elephant in the room there. Absolutely. There's been a lot of talk about um, carbon capture and storage, but to date really hasn't made a lot of progress uh, and it continues to be quite difficult to achieve and pretty expensive. So getting rid of fossil fueled electricity generation is a strategy that um, most countries are looking at. You, you said earlier that fossil fuel-generated uh, electricity is largely used to fill in the gaps when our types of renewable energy can't keep up with demand. Correct. Is that not a pretty good status quo, all things considered, given the difficulties in storing renewable-generated electricity? Yes, I mean, if uh, global warming wasn't a real challenge for our environment and perhaps even our existence in the long run, if we could ignore emissions and they weren't uh, causing the, the greenhouse effect, then there'd really be no reason to move away from fossil fuels. Yeah, it's ideal except for the absolutely terrible thing that they directly contribute to. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Is there a logic to this idea of 100% renewable by 2030. I mean, is that a realistic kind of plan or will there always, until we develop a sufficiently sophisticated battery capacity kind of thing, is there always going to be a place for fossil fuel generated electricity, I suppose is my question. Yeah, so I think in the long term, we can absolutely get rid of fossil fuels. We won't need them at all for electricity generation. Uh, I think that's technically feasible now and has been for some time. The issues really are around the, the economics of the transition uh, and the speed at which you can manage that transition. And just thinking about this 100% uh, renewables by 2030, initially when that came out from the government, I think the best thing about it was that it really got everyone thinking, gee, 2030 is not that far away. Mm. We've got a lot to do if we're going to um, achieve that. How do we go about it? So from that point of view, it's, um, it's a great thing to have out there as a challenge. Now uh, the government language is that it's an aspirational goal. I think it's probably not realistically achievable if we were in a real emergency, uh, you know, and our lives literally depended on getting to 100% by 2030, we could probably do it. We're not quite in that situation, so um, therefore uh, you know, it's important to consider things like um, the cost of, of making the transition and uh, you know, what's, what's the best mix of renewable electricity, electricity generation, storage uh, and other technologies to actually get us to that. 
So what? We, we're at 82% renewable now. We're scaling that up over the next four or five years to about 87, 88%. So that leaves us with about 12% to find. Yes. What types of renewables or what areas of renewables have the most potential to scale up to fill that vacuum, do you think? Most of the extra renewable capacity can be filled by combination of geothermal, wind and solar. Exactly how the proportions pan out will be determined by the amount of money to be invested in uh, or that's available uh, and willing to be invested in each of those technologies. As you get closer and closer to 100%, so probably around 96% renewables, and certainly uh, once you get to 97 98% renewables, things start to get a little bit interesting in terms of, A, making sure that there's enough available on the day. And then the next issue is, is there actually enough generation built? And this is an area which is uh, being actively researched around the world and uh, certainly here in New Zealand. So, for example, the Electricity Authority has a project going looking at this, this very issue. Now, as an example, let's uh, think of those winter peak periods again. So it's dark, it's cold, it's calm. The lakes might be low as well, so the hydro um, generation may be um, constrained. Mm. We also uh, have a bit of an issue with the inter-island link, what's known as the high-voltage DC link, HVDC. You may better send a lot of power into the North Island across that link, but sooner or later it reaches its maximum capacity, which means you can't send any more into um, the North Island. So the North Island might be in one of these peaks and there's just not enough renewable electricity to, to meet the demand and not enough coming over the HVDC link from the South Island to help, help make up the difference. Then you have an issue, where does that difference come from? It could be in batteries. So we're expecting a lot of uh, large batteries to be built probably know that the government's looking at the possibility of pumped hydro storage. Mm. So that's, that's another possibility that um, could, could help to fill in those gaps. Ultimately, though, it may be that you have to um, rely on consumers to reduce their demand. What's being discussed a lot at the moment is that as you get very close to 100% renewables, you need to have a lot more of that demand response and you need to know that it's there and the consumers that are providing that need to be happy to provide it. As a very last resort, you have to turn lights off. Mm -hmm. And that's something that consumers tend to uh, dislike intensely. So um, obviously you want to, you want to avoid that um, if you can. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The Detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Sarah Robson. Our associate producer is Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Greg Sice. Matewa. <laughs>